So I want to share a Realm post. You guys have probably seen it, but I wanted to share it because some of what I'm going to be sharing this morning is kind of tied to that and supporting some of that and encouraging it. But it's Chris posts from September 6th, and it says, I thank the Lord for you all. Chris said, uh, he quoted uh, Philippians 1, 3 to 5. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of the participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And then he wrote, I certainly feel like Paul when I think of New Covenant. I am so thankful the Lord has given us one mind to be eager to meet pressing needs. So thankful that we prioritize the kingdom. So thankful that when urgent matters come up, um, we are eager to give toward these things. Brethren, as we continue to do this, um, we will know the provision of the Lord and his presence in our midst. Let's pray to the Lord to continue to help us work while it's day, not worry about tomorrow, seek the lost, love one another, and love all people to the praise of the glory of his grace. He has given us his spirit. We lack nothing. Love you all deeply in Christ. Chris. So I was encouraged by that. And I want to talk now about, there's a passage. We're going to be kind of camping out at 1 Timothy 6, um, 17 to 19. So you can turn there if you'd like. And I want to bring some affirmation and encouragement um, to his post. I want to work through some passages that support and encourage some of the things that he shared. So I'm going to read 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. There's so much around it, and I thought about reading a large section beforehand, and I'm just going to read uh, these three verses, and we're going to work through this, and I'll provide different other passages that support the different points that I think are brought out here. But let me pray. Father, we thank you for how you are working in our midst, that needs arise, and you move your people, you move us to give, to give generously, um, to meet the needs of others. And Lord, um, I just want to thank you that you have saved us and that you have transformed us, that we are interested and desire to do these things. This is a work that you have put in us. Um, I just want to just thank you for that. And I ask that you would just work through me, help me to be clear, help me to um, just communicate effectively and by your spirit. And I pray that you just work in all of us. Um, use this to minister to me and use it to minister to my brothers and sisters. In Christ's name, amen. All right, verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. All right. 
Verse 17, I'm going to read it again. We're going to start working through it. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So Paul is telling Timothy to instruct a certain group of Christians. He's not drawing attention to all Christians here in this text, but I think we can, I will pull out how there's general, um, general, general application to all believers here. But specifically, he's mentioning the rich in this present world. And so there's this sense that this is a present world, but there's this implication that there's a world to come. It's not just this world. It's this present world. So the rich in this present world, and these are, so all Christians are rich in Christ and in eternity, but here and now there's differences. There's poverty and there's Christians who are rich. And specifically here, he's not trying to address um, those who are poor in the present, but he's trying to address those who are rich in this world. And I'm going to talk about in a little bit later, um, whether we are rich or poor in this world, um, this present world, but um, we'll address that in a little bit. But here, Paul, in this passage, is going to first address the heart of a rich Christian. This is, he's going to first address that. So Paul wants to address how these riches can cause us to think about ourselves and think about God. So he first addresses how we look at ourselves. Paul says to the rich Christian, do not be conceited. So Paul has some sort of understanding here that riches, um, that there's something that riches can do to a Christian. It can cause a Christian to become proud. It can be, cause them to be tempted to be proud or to think of themselves as greater than others, whether it's greater than Christians who um, are poor or greater than um, non-Christians because of their wealth. But the Lord wants us to, to boast and take pride in something else. Paul says, don't be conceited. Don't be proud. Don't be boastful. What should a what should give the Christian a sense of value and worth? Should it be the riches? No, it should be the relationship with God, being loved by God and being in relationship with him. So Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24 says, Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast boast of his riches, but let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So the Lord is saying, don't boast in those things. Don't boast in riches, Christian. Boast that you know me. That's, that's everything. That's being at peace with God, that's having a relationship with God. That's knowing the one who, is, um, who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. Paul then addresses what the rich Christian hopes in. He wants to address the hope of the rich Christian. Paul says, now um, following in verse 
17. He says, not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. So Paul understands that riches and wealth can tempt the Christian to begin to put their hope and trust in riches rather than God. Something happens with riches, and he's trying to address those things. Does Paul think that a rich Christian is tempted to put their hope in riches to save their souls from the judgment of God? I don't think he's trying to say that. I don't think he's trying to say that these rich Christians are going to end up thinking that they can actually pay for their redemption. I don't think he's trying to address that. What I think he's trying to do, um, I think he's trying to seek to address a day-to-day hope in this present world that rich Christians can be tempted to embrace. Christians can be tempted to hope and find comfort from riches instead of finding comfort from the God of all comfort. So 1 Corinthians 1, 3-4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He's the God of all comfort. Riches, Paul thinks, I think he can, um, he sees how riches can start to maybe cause the Christian to try to find comfort in those rather than God. A Christian can also be tempted to hope or find refuge or find security from riches instead of finding our security and a refuge in the Lord, who is our shepherd, our strength, and our shield. And this is a really great passage that I found in Psalm 28, 7 to 9. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart triumphs. And with my song, I shall thank him. The Lord is their strength. And he is a refuge of salvation to his anointed. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd also and carry them forever. Think about it. He's he's talked about being a shield here. He's talked about being a refuge He's talked about being a shepherd, not just a shepherd that has the sheep out there, a shepherd that carries us. There's this sense of comfort and protection that is found in who God is. And wealth can, um, can tempt us to want to trust or find comfort or find security in it rather than the God of all comfort, the refuge true shepherd that carries us and protects us. So Paul also describes here, he describes riches as uncertain. Paul states that riches cannot be really relied on. Riches will disappoint us. Riches will not bring you true and lasting comfort in this life. Riches will not bring you true and lasting security in this life. If you think of some of the really um, 
dangerous places right now due to different governments, the, the amount of money that you could send them is not going to change their circumstances. But God can, and God is their comfort and their shield and their refuge. So those riches will not bring true security ultimately in this life. So on top of that, Jesus describes riches as deceitful. Uh, Mark 4, 18 to 19. And others um, are the ones, this is um, the parable of the sower, um, and others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So Jesus sees riches as something that can mislead people. Riches have the power to mislead us. Riches have the power to make us think differently. And so Jesus is addressing that. He's trying to bring attention to that. They can be deceitful. They can deceive us. Riches can begin, can cause us to begin to think that we really don't need anything. I think of the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3. They basically ended up saying they've prospered and they have need of nothing. That's a dangerous place to be. Um, it's almost as if they got it all figured out. I don't not need God. Um, riches can also kind of uh, get us to start thinking that, not, like kind of almost like we're saying, now this is life. Like, like we got this. Like, this is, we are now experiencing life truly as it was meant to be experienced. Or, look what I have. Now I'm really living life. I'm living large. But Luke 12, Jesus says to them, Beware and be on guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So Jesus is saying our worth and life are not wrapped up, are not found in the, the many or the little amount of things that we possess. He doesn't look at that and say valuable or not valuable. He says that does not add value even if you have a lot. And so then moving on here, he says, Paul says, moving on, he says to the rich Christian, not to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. So God is implied here to be certain and reliable in comparison to the uncertainty of riches. But why do we fix our hope on God? Well, he goes on to say, he's the one who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Paul is saying, do not fix your hope on riches, but on God, because God is rich, and he provides for us. He provides for us. He is our provider. Everything we have, every good gift is from him. We can work and produce the income that we can produce because God does it, because God gives us that. He's our provider. So trust in him because he's the source of everything that we have. 
So secondly, now there's going to be a shift in verse 18. Secondly, Paul is now going to call Christians, he's going to call rich Christians to do something. Verse 18, it says, instruct them, the rich, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. God richly supplies us. Those who are rich are to be rich in good works. Not just do good works, but to be rich in good works. Paul is expecting that many, many good works are to come from those who are rich in this present world. So this is not even related to the rich aspect of it, but just, I like, I like the book of Titus and how it really has this emphasis and this rhythm as you read it. If you just read all the way through it and you were to be mindful of good works, there's just this rhythm over three chapters of five different times that good works are mentioned in there. And it's really encouraging. And so there's really kind of an emphasis there in the book of Titus. But I'm going to kind of read off just highlight some of these. And so the first one that you encounter, he's actually talking about unbelievers. And he says, they are not fit for a good work. Like they can't do it. But then every single one after that, he's talking about the believer and how we are associated with good works. He says that Titus is called to be a model of good works. It says later that we were redeemed, that God redeemed us to be zealous for good works. Not that we would just do them, we would be zealous for it. Then later on it says to be ready for every good work. To be then later it says devote ourselves to good works. Not just be a part of it, but be devoted to good works as a Christian. And then later at the very end, it says, devote ourselves, and we are to be devoting ourselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need. So, unbelievers aren't fit for it. Titus is called to be a model of it. We've been redeemed to be zealous for it. We need to, we're called to be ready for it. We're called to be devoted to it. And um, we're called, once again, to be devoted to it because there's urgent needs. So good works are a large part of the Christian life. And so when we see these things in our midst, you can see why Chris posts that he's encouraged, because we are involved in these things, and it's great. Um, we're doing what the Lord has called us to. We're doing um, the different things that uh, are most valuable. So Paul calls the rich to be generous and ready to share. Paul's instructing Timothy to instruct the rich not to hold tightly to their riches, but to be ready to be generous. It's not a holding everything tightly, but to be ready to share. There are needs out there, and Paul is saying, I want to see those needs met in Christians. But I also don't think Paul had in mind that the rich should be generous and ready to share with their immediate family only, but with believers and unbelievers alike. It's not just, okay, be ready to share with your family, make sure that everything is great there. So in Leviticus 19, 9 to 10, I want to read this. This is really, maybe captures a picture of it. 
It says, now when you reap, telling the people of God, nation of Israel, um, the Old Testament, Old Covenant, now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not, you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So God was calling the nation of Israel to set up their lives and their agricultural work in such a way that their own needs are met, but not just that, but that there's extra to be able to provide for those in need and the stranger. It wasn't hunker down and make sure I got everything for my family, um, my immediate family, because I know God's called me to that, which he has, but that's not only what he's called us to. God calls us as well not to only provide for our needs, but for the needs of others. Ephesians 4.28 captures this pretty well. The one who steals must no longer steal, but rather he must labor, producing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Paul's not saying, okay, work hard so that you're not a burden. Work hard so that you're not a burden on people in the church and different people in society. He's saying, work hard so that your needs are met and that you now can be a blessing and help other people who have need. That's what he calls us to. And then verse 19, lastly, Paul now shifts to a focus on the future. It says, storing up for themselves, these rich Christians, the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So, I'm going to ask a question. Do you see anything surrounding this passage about how great it will be to just simply hear the command of the Lord to be generous and then see needs and obey the Lord and see the need fulfilled? We don't see that. Where are the practical needs described as a motivation here? They're not. Where does Paul describe how there are many practical needs out there that the rich can meet? Where does Paul use the fact that people are going to be fed and clothed and be generous and say, you should be generous? He doesn't use that as a motivation. Of course, that is, um, you find that throughout the whole scriptures, that you want to be moved with compassion to be giving and meeting needs. But here, it's interesting how he doesn't bring that up. But what does he bring up? And you would think that, What's interesting is you'd think that that would be enough motivation, right? That there really shouldn't be any other motivation that should ever be communicated or clear. There's a need. We have been given much. We've been redeemed. We've been given eternal life. Here's a need of someone, and God calls us to be kind and generous to them. Let's, let's meet it. That would be sufficient motivation, just to honor the Lord in that. But Paul brings out... Something in the future. 
Paul's argument for the rich to, be, to give generously and share is not so that the need will be met. This generosity does something more than help those in need. The rich get something out of it. The rich in this present world who are rich in good works and who are ready to share are stockpiling something for themselves. They're stockpiling treasure. And Jesus in Matthew 6 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Jesus is saying store up treasure not here, but in heaven. Why? Because treasure here will not last but they will last forever in heaven. Jesus uses treasure, just like Paul, as a motivation for his people. So back back to what Paul states. He states these treasures are a good foundation. The treasure is not seen as uncertain, but sound. Right? How we we look back, he, he called riches uncertain. The uncertainty of riches. Riches in this life are uncertain. Treasures in heaven are considered sound and stable. The uncertain and deceptive riches can be used to create a sound and stable eternal treasure. So I was thinking about foundations and I thought about solid construction and I was just trying to think, okay, let's just say there was a scenario where Jonah and Chris are talking with a client. They've built you know, a foundation for this person who's looking to put an addition on their house. So they've built the foundation for the addition, and um, the client come back after they finish, like, you know, I really would like this property, I would really like the addition to not be an addition, but a detached structure like 30 feet away. That would be a major change order, and that would be impossible to move. You just have to destroy it and then just rebuild in a different spot. There's, when, when you use the term foundation, especially you, when you use the term good foundation, you're thinking of something very sound, very permanent. That's the kind of language that we should get here. Um, this good foundation of treasure is linked to the future, and it is sound, has a sense of permanence, has a sense of lasting These treasures are not for this present world, but for heaven. These treasures in heaven are produced by meeting the needs of others in this present world. Okay, so what is the purpose of all this that he's driving towards? And it's the last part, the very last part of verse 19. So that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Remember how Jesus was saying in Luke 12, Then he said to them, beware and be on guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of it. If life is not weighed or valued by possessions or wealth that we have in this present world, if that is not the essence or mark of success in life to Jesus, then the big question is, what is? What is the essence or mark of value in life? What does it look like to truly take hold of life? 
Paul says we take hold of life and we think about life correctly when we are using riches of this present world to benefit others in the present world and thus storing up treasure in the new world to come. That's life. That's taking hold of life, right? It's to be looking to the thing that's going to last forever. It's the eternal life with Christ. So the question is, are we generally rich? I think we are. Many say that we are the most prosperous and free nation in the world. But if that is up for debate, I want to look at an example of people in poverty. It's in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 5, where the Macedonians. And Paul is now going to talk a little bit about them here. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, we make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, these Macedonians are in affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, these Macedonians, they gave voluntarily, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. In this, not as we have expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So Paul sees it as praiseworthy and worthy of sharing with other believers about these believers who are in deep poverty. They're not rich. They're Macedonian believers. They gave according to their ability. They gave beyond their ability. They gave voluntarily, and they were begging for the opportunity to be a part of helping the saints. So whether you believe yourself to be poor or whether you believe that you fall into the category of rich, there is great encouragement to give and meet the needs of others and to store up treasure in heaven. So, again, my goal this morning was affirmation and encouragement in regards to Chris's post on the realm. So we have been involved. We have been for years been involved in giving to different needs um, outside of our body. Um, Some of those... um, Some of those things are... um, got some things going on in the CAR. There's a, there's a baby that is um, without a home that now is with Marie there. And there's funding coming from NCCF to basically provide someone who can nurse the baby, to keep the baby alive. That's a good work. That's storing up treasure in heaven. There's an orphanage that we support. Very practical needs are met. There's Afghanistan support. There's Middle East support. There's Myanmar, which we'll talk about next week. We are involved in different things as a body, and I think we're involved in different things on a personal level. And these things, we should be encouraged that these things are storing up treasure. They're bringing about things, they're meeting needs. But not only that, they're storing up eternal treasures in heaven. 
Paul would want us to make note of the fact that we are storing up treasures for the future, treasures that last forever. By doing this, we as a body are taking hold of that which is truly life. That's life. A life in this present age that is invested in eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth is taking hold of life indeed. To invest in the place where Jesus is preparing a place for us is to invest in a really good spot. He, uh, Paul calls where we live now our homes as tents. There's temporary. It's like we're camping. Just a long camping trip. It's not that long in relation to um, eternity. But that's taking hold of life indeed. But to, to just hold on to everything and to just hold everything tightly is to not take hold of life indeed. Paul is saying, be generous. Store up treasure in heaven. That is taking hold of life indeed. So, some just kind of questions here for us. When we give to meet needs, how often do you think, how often do I think, about how it stores up treasure in heaven? Or, is, or are we just super excited, which is great, super excited to help meet a need um, that somebody has? Because Paul and Jesus would want us to think not only about the need and how it's being fulfilled, but he would want us to be motivated by treasure, by treasure in heaven. Or do you mainly think, or do I mainly think, about um, just the needs of others, not about the treasure. Yes, we must be motivated with compassion to help those in need, like I mentioned earlier, but Paul wants us to be reminded to store up treasures in heaven because they last forever. Jesus too, right? Um, Another question, how sacrificial do we give? I think about deep poverty in the Macedonians those Macedonian believers who gave out of their deep poverty and gave beyond their means. And Paul commended them for that. And that can be a big exhortation too. Um, there's a, I'm not endorsing, I really don't, I just have this uh, book called uh, The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. I was looking through it. I haven't looked at it in a long time. I don't, I'm not saying I endorse Randy Alcorn or that we as a church endorse him. I, don't, I just found some good things in here, so I'm going to share some. Um, but, uh, let's see. Uh, here's one. So, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Why? Because it's right? Not just that, because it's smart. Because such treasure will last. Jesus argues from the bottom line. It's not an emotional appeal. It's a logical one. Invest in what has lasting value. And he goes on over here, he says, financial planners tell us, when it comes to your money, don't think just three months or three years ahead. Think 30 years ahead. Christ, the ultimate investment counselor, takes it further. He says, don't ask how your investment will be paying off in just 30 years. Ask how it will be paying off in 30 million years. So it just kind of puts into perspective that, I just enjoyed that because 
It really, it's 30 million years. This is eternity that we're investing in. This is, and it doesn't fade, right? And so that's the kind of treasure that we're storing up that lasts forever when we're involved in these, meeting these different needs. And another thing here is that I thought was really interesting. I never thought about this, maybe y'all have, but I'll share it. Why is it more blessed to give than to receive? Well, it's true because God's word says it, but I was thinking about it. And yes, there's joy that comes when we give and meet those needs, knowing like, wow, the Lord supplied me with this and I trusted him and I went, I didn't have this one thing because I wanted to give to this and their need was met and we did it in Jesus' name. And so like Christ is lifted up. It's just a joy, right? But I don't think I've ever seen anyone storing up treasure in heaven because they received something from somebody else. But when Christians give, we store up treasure in heaven that will last forever. The giver is more blessed because the temporal treasure that is given turns into an eternal treasure. So you get the joy of giving, but you also get the treasure that lasts forever, and you get to meet that need. And so that's how that's one of the things that why is more blessed to give than to receive. Because that, that money that's temporary becomes eternal treasure. And Christ is lifted up in the whole process and people's needs are met. So like everything's like for us, you know? Um, so it's encouraging. And so... Um, so I want us to be encouraged, again, of the, the treasure that is being stored up for us as we meet these different needs and as we give to the Lord. It's not in vain. It's not just producing temporary needs being met. There's eternal consequences for our giving. We should be encouraged by that. We also be encouraged that, to just want to invest more and more into that. Um, and so that is all I have. We'll be done a little early. And I'm going to pray for us, and um, we'll be dismissed. Father, we just want to thank you for saving us, for changing us, um, for giving us a desire to meet the needs of others, for providing for our needs and beyond that. Um, Father, we... Um, Pray that uh, you would help us to not become boastful in riches. Help us to not become deceived by riches. Help us not to place our hope in the uncertainty of riches. Help us to remember that you are our provider, our shepherd, our shield, our refuge, our comfort. You're the God of all comfort. Help us to trust you, to hope, put our hope in you and not um, in the uncertainty of riches in this world. Help us to continue to take hold more and more of that which is truly life by storing up more and more treasure, by lifting up your name as we give um, to these different things. Um, and Lord, uh, help us to be focused more and more on eternity, um, that we would uh, just lay hold of that and um, have that be where our eyes and our hearts 
and our minds are fixated because you are preparing a place for us. Help us to be invested in that. Um, Lord, give us more and more opportunities to meet needs. Um, guide us in that. Help us just to be more generous than we already have. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.